This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Good afternoon, good evening, good night, good morning. I mean, it depends where you are uh, listening and how you're getting on as to whether it is good or not. Welcome to The Twilight Show. I am Harry Waters, and I'll be here with you for the next hour and 29 minutes and 28 seconds, or an hour and a half, to round it up nicely. Today's show is all about an I can attitude, um, and a can do attitude, and really making sure our students are as involved as possible. It's, it's something I've spoken about on a number of occasions, and I'm sure I'll continue to speak about till the end of time, um, making sure we really do listen to our students and get them involved as much as possible. So what have I been up to since we last spoke? When did we last speak? It was just last week, wasn't it? It wasn't even that long ago. Uh, I've been up to a fair bit, to be honest. It's been a bit of a crazy one. Why is that, Harry? Because of back to school, obviously. Back to school is a big one for us teachers, isn't it? Um, I have been preparing a couple of new curricula, which are really, really excited to get my, my teeth into those. Um, I've been getting those ready for uh, the volunteer classes that we do here in the village. Uh, so that's been a super exciting, getting those together and, and fixed up and ready to go. Uh, I've also been writing an activity book, which is, of course, uh, fun. It's different. It's not solely based on sustainability. So it's nice to remember I'm not just a one trick pony. Um, I do have at least two or three other tricks up my sleeve. Although I am wearing a short sleeve shirt, because it's still well over 30 degrees here. So, you know, um, I can't fit all that many tricks up there. <laughs> what else have I been doing? Um, I have, oh, I've got a few training sessions coming up. It's really exciting because I'll be uh, taking myself um, and uh, the company for whom I work uh, and I'll be moving that beyond simply the, the ELT sphere and moving it into the general education sphere here in Spain. And I'm doing a few talks uh, in Spanish schools on how to increase sustainability in the classroom, how to get people involved uh, and, and, you know, that kind of general thing. So, um, yeah, there's been, there's been a lot going on this last week. Um, and also I did this interview that we'll be listening to today. Um, I'll introduce very shortly after we've uh, shot off for the news. Uh, and it's absolutely mind-blowing. She couldn't be here with us live because she's based in India. Um, and it's, I think, about half past two in the morning there now, if I'm not wrong. I, I probably am wrong. Uh, don't don't get me wrong. I probably am very wrong. Um, but yeah, she she said she'd much rather do a recording than than wake up at silly o'clock in the morning to to have to do an interview or stay up till silly o'clock. Now, don't get me wrong. That has been done before. Um, I know that when I have any any webinars with South America, they tend to be at kind of, I don't know, about 1am. Uh, and I know that the wonderful Tyson Seaburn, who who was on the show not very long ago, he uh, works with, with people on the other side of the globe and often has 
four or five a.m. starts. So, um, yeah, it's, it's always a, a bit of a challenge, but but Kieran decided, and rightly so, that we would talk just a few days back. Um, so that interview will be coming up ever so shortly. Um, before that, of course, we'll talk a little bit about her, her ideas and her ideals, and and yeah, and then we'll, we'll jump into it. But until then, we're going to pop off for the news now. Uh, let's hope that the audios are working today. Uh, I've given them a dry run. They were all fine beforehand. And the intro worked well. So let's see about the news. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.withaslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Imagine a world where you were free to focus on sparking curiosity in your students and giving them access to the awe and wonder of learning. A world where you were supported to deliver a truly personalised education to help all your learners achieve their potential. No need to imagine it, because that's exactly what the Oxford Smart Curriculum Service delivers. Seamlessly integrating curriculum, resources, assessment, next steps and professional development Every component of Oxford Smart is connected and working to provide you with a uniquely coherent and responsive service that empowers you and your students with transformational effect. The Oxford Smart Curriculum Service. When everything connects, anything is possible. If you have a passion for education and a talent for teaching and learning, the Witherslack Group want to hear from you. Join them as they open an incredible new school in Essex and be a founding teacher of English, Maths, Science or Primary with multiple leadership opportunities available too. As Teachers Talk Radio partners, we know how much they care about the well-being of staff and their offer to you will be superb. To find out more and apply for a role, visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. The Daily Mirror runs a story on school places with headlines claiming that in some areas where schools are oversubscribed, nearly 9 out of 10 parents do not get a place for their child at their first choice secondary school. The article names specific schools in Wolverhampton and Lambeth as the hardest secondary schools to get into, with the primary from Liverpool named as the most difficult to get into. As children return to school for the new academic year, applications for those set to start primary or secondary in September 2023 are set to open soon. The deadline for secondary places is October 31st and January the 15th next year for primary. According to figures published in the article, 83% of applicants got their first choice of secondary school for September 2022, a small increase on the 2021 figure of 81%. The proportion of primary school applicants who received their first choice remained at 92%. A full list of England's most oversubscribed schools is published on the Daily Mirror website. 
In Scotland, council workers due to go out on strike next week have suspended their action after unions received a new pay offer from local authority leaders. The Unison, Unite and GMB unions agreed to suspend strikes in education and in waste services. The Unison, Unite and GMB unions agreed to suspend strikes in education and in waste services. The high profile waste worker strike has seen rubbish build up in city centres, but action was also set to affect schools and early years provision as members of Unison were set to walk out. Aberdeen Live also reports on possible strike action by Scottish teachers after what unions describe as an insulting pay offer. The 5% pay increase was rejected by the Educational Institute of Scotland's Executive Committee and they have opened a ballot for members concerning industrial action. Members of the union have until the 16th of September to vote on the action. Following the return to school for the new academic year, Eastern Eye reports on advice to schools around school attendance. The advice recommends close partnership work with councils, targeted family support and home visits to address barriers to attendance. These form part of a package of new approaches to ensure that more children are in school every day. The Department for Education is also launching a three-year one-to-one attendance monitoring pilot aimed at tackling the factors behind non-attendance such as bullying and mental health issues. The scheme will be launched in Middlesbrough this year before expanding to other areas next year. A new attendance data visualisation tool is also expected later in September. In some countries on the continent of Africa, a significant barrier to school attendance comes as a result of pregnancy in adolescent girls, according to Human Rights Watch. The organisation says that whilst many countries now have laws and policies in place to protect girls' education, there are still shortcomings, with at least 10 African Union member countries still having no laws related to protecting the retention of students who are pregnant or are adolescent mothers. More on this story can be found on the Human Rights Watch website. In Wales, mandatory sex education lessons will go ahead in the new school term, as the High Court rules in favour of the plan. A group of five parents lost their legal challenge to block the lessons in a hearing on the 31st of August. The group wanted to withdraw their children from the mandatory lessons or stop the rollout of relationships and sexual education altogether. The parents had already been granted a judicial review to be heard in November. RSE is part of the statutory new curriculum in Wales, although half of secondary schools are delaying the new curriculum until 2023. This is Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I complete my series on home connection and getting the best performance. The topic today is why is my upload speed lower than my download speed? In previous episodes, we've discussed bandwidth and the more devices, the more demand, but internet service providers only tend to advertise their download speed. Why is this? Well, because it's higher. Let's take a trip back to the beginning of the internet for general public use. If you're old enough to remember dial-up and what we used to use the internet for pre-2006 when we were introduced to the Facebook boom, the internet was more like a library. You go, search for a book or a web page, use the book for your research, then return it. Traffic or knowledge is mostly one way, downloading to you. The only real use for uploading for the day-to-day user of the internet was to request a web page, a very small amount of data, and to send the odd email. Most things we did were all based on downloading. This is called an asymmetric connection. Downloading is given more bandwidth as it's the most used. This to date is still the fact. Most people download more than they upload. 
With data transmission being restricted by the size of transmission media being used, it makes sense for there to be more bandwidth dedicated to downloading than to uploading. Uploading has become increasingly more important for people since the development of apps like Facebook. Although developed in 2004, in 2006, due to increasingly better phone technology and the trend of documenting your life and posting it for others to see, the speed that you can upload has become more important. However, if a video or image takes a while to upload, we can do something else. If what you're watching stops, it's the end of the world. If this has given you food for thought, I'd love to hear from you. As we return to work, why not get in touch at TT Radio 2022, follow us and tell us what you want to know about tech for the new academic year. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Thank you very much for hanging in with me there. That was lovely. Um, so uh, let's get down to business. Now, today we're speaking to somebody I, I met oh, back in May. Uh, and I was instantly blown away. Um, and I, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, where you see somebody speaking and within, I'd, I've got to say, <laughs> you know, seven or eight seconds, I just knew that this was a person um who not only knew what they were talking about but really really genuinely cared about everything they were doing um our guest is is kieran birsetti and she's the founder uh, of the riverside school in india she's also the founder of design for change and everything about her and everything about what she's done uh, is all about really helping students be the best person they can and even just listening to her a few times has has helped me reassess my own teaching but also my own parenting um and it really is this this i can attitude you know we we really can do it and and students really can uh make a difference that in their own lives and in lives of others as well and if they can't do it necessarily then they can certainly give it a try um so, as I said, she's the founder of the Riverside School uh, and Design for Change. She's also a, a TED Talker, I guess, a speaker for a TED Talk, uh, and a whole lot more. So, here is my my interview with Kieran. So here we are. Um, we've got a fantastic guest, as I just said. Um, so, Kieran, could you tell us a little something about yourself? And and of course, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Harry. Always lovely to meet you. Um, well, I am Kiran B. Sethi. Um, officially, I'm the founder of, uh, you know, the Riverside School and Design for Change, etc. But I love, I think the biggest thing that I love doing is being a mother. Uh, for me, my entire journey in all of this started with me being a mother first and then using design and my education in design for everything else that uh, subsequently ensued. So um, I'm based out of India. I love life. I love waking up every day and saying, surprise me. Let's see what's going to happen. <laughs> so, and for those of you who might ever meet me, I'm a hugger. So bring it up. <laughs> I'm, I'm also very much a hugger. Um, yes, which, uh, we, which we did in, in, uh, in Paris. We yes. did, indeed. <laughs> we did. We hugged in Paris. You know, everybody listening yes. is going to be very jealous now. Um, <laughs> So I, I met you in, in Paris. We spoke on on the on the same stage about the future of education. Um, 
And I was instantly struck, you know, I was sitting there. So I went on just before you and then I, I sat there and watched you and it was just like, wow, this is something that, you know, everybody needs to know about. This is something everybody in education really needs to hear. Um, so you didn't actually start in education, did you? Um, how, so how did you go from being a designer to a, an educator and then, and then even more, to be honest? So what, what happened? Uh, well, motherhood happened <laughs> in just one word. But uh, you're right, I, I had graduated as a, a designer from a premier design institute in India. And I was living a life of leisure. I was having fun putting my, you know, uh, my education in design into practice, designing restaurants and themes and really having a fun time exploring what design could do. You know, the whole idea of optimism about the user-centered experience and, and really kind of understood experience design through, through the work I was doing as in my design firm. And then I became a mother and I fell in love with my son. And, you know, that whole journey of curiosity and understanding how the human mind functions really was activated because of being a mother. Um, and then he started his schooling. And I realized as a parent, how limited our view of education really is. We often take other people's point of view, we kind of rely on opinions, and then we kind of don't really do the due diligence. We kind of said, oh, my husband went to the school, it should be fine. Or, you know, we and, and we do greater decision-making when we go shopping for a tomato, for heaven's sake. But we don't do that much, you know, um, due diligence when we're looking at our own children's education. Well, it just so happened I wasn't from the city and I kind of relied on uh, other parameters to choose the school I finally chose. Um, and I think I was so struck by what it did to children, you know, that whole that whole experience. Uh, my son was one of 60 children in a class, you know, an all boys school. And my son is a gentle, quiet boy. You know, he's got these big eyes and he looks at the world. And he's not one of those boisterous people who say, look at me. So I think what happened was in, in the first three months of experiencing as a parent, he would come home and all I had was a reference of him coming back home, mm -hmm. right? From whatever he might have experienced at school. And he didn't have a single thing to say, right? All he kept telling me was there was homework and all he had to do was do whatever the teacher said. And I would sometimes probe being a designer, I would often ask, but what did you enjoy? And why are you doing this? And what would this be? And he would often say, I don't know. And I think my genuine frustration with that word, I don't know, or I can't, I found myself bringing it on my son. Why didn't you ask? And don't you know? And he was all of five and a half and six. And he was <laughs> not knowing what the hell was happening, right? And so in my attempt to even save myself and my, my relationship, I went to the school wanting to ask the teacher, a little bit more about you know just who my son's friends were and what was he like to do and i was struck again by the fact that she had zero interest in the children all she said was what is his name <laughs> you know she didn't even know his name and she only had his number you know what they call the role number yeah. by virtual attendance and i think that just wasn't that was that moment and a couple of other incidents that happened when i said boss that just can't be it so i took my son out of school so as a mother, I was frustrated. Like I, I responded with frustrations. My God, how can the world not know my son? And all of that, the frustration. 
But I think, and I, and, and, and I come back to my education and design being possibly the most significant moment of decision-making that I took by, I said, there has to be another way. So rather than complain and blame the system and say, this is the way it's always been and what can one person do or just keep changing schools, I took it upon myself, boss, I have to give my son a better experience. So I was not changing the system. I was just wanting my son to have a terrific experience. So I said, I will start a school. <laughs> has to be another way. And, and I think that the education and design gave me that skill set and empowered me to say there has to be another way. And as Gandhi keeps saying, you are who you've been waiting for. Mm -hmm. Correct? So in that, um, it was a small story of a mother wanting to make my son's experience of, of learning be a lot more empowering. Uh, and I started in my home. So so the, so then I got into literally putting ed design into education. Yeah. So my education and design kind of reversed. And I said, the user, the child has to be in the room. It ha they have to be on that table, having equal say in, in creating the education system. And pretty much that started the whole ICANN movement and, you know, the, yeah. the school and then subsequently design for change and et cetera. I think what you, one of the, the important things there is the, the children having a say. I mean, it's such a vital thing. Now, I, I know a lot of the teachers listening, you know, there are, there are some, lots of really wonderful educators. You know, we're not tarring everyone with the same brush of looking at a number. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not that at all. But there is one thing that it took me quite a long time to learn as a teacher, and that was to listen to my students. You know, it, was, it took me so long to realise that, you know, I wasn't there to take what was in my brain and put it into their brain. You know, they weren't a clean slate that I got to shape and mould. They already had a shape. You know, they already had this mould. And, and what I had to do was encourage them to show that shape and encourage them to show that mould. And yes, you do need to help them acquire knowledge. They do need to learn stuff. But, you know, it's so much of it has to come from them and it has to come from us listening to them. And and understanding what they want and understanding what they need. Like for me, it, it's such an important part of teaching, but it took me probably seven or eight years to realize that. No, I think you've, spot, you, you've actually hit the nail on the head. I don't think we listen enough. We instruct and we scold and we inform and we do all of the other things, but we tend to listen less. And I think, uh, and, and not just listen to the words, but I really feel you have to listen to the entire body and the way the eyes light up or not. So I think for me, design thinking is very much an act of listening, right? It starts with empathy and it asks of you to understand rather than assume. Mm -hmm. um, so I think the critical difference that happens in the process of designing is not design for the user, but design with the user. And within that word, with has so much of, of uh, collaboration and optimism and creativity. So I think for me, even though my my, my, my first and oldest uh, child when I started the school was a five-year-old and a six-year-old, they were equal participants in the design process. And I think what you also said was they're whole people. They're just tiny people, but they are whole people. Yeah. You know, they have, they have opinions and they have a story to tell. And, and, and uh, I think I was super humbled when 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 I just sat back and I said, the expert is not the people who write books, but really from these minds. And so leaning in and listening pretty much shaped 
the process, processes and the curriculum and the design of Riverside. So uh, I would encourage whoever's listening to say, yeah, just just listen more and 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 invite and don't impose. Uh, exactly. Those are, that learned, yeah. It's it's so difficult as well, like when you are a teacher and and you have your knowledge, you know. So let's say, for example, in maths, um, I remember during the pandemic, obviously, all like my daughter came home and you know we were we were homeschooling and and after a while, when it opened up a little bit, we had two of her her friends over as well, and I became the maths teacher. Now I'm not a maths teacher. I'm I'm, I'm okay at maths, but I know what I know. And I know it in the way that I know it. Exactly. But so when I was teaching them, you know, they were six and maybe, yeah, they were six. I think they were in first grade. And I was teaching them the most basic of, of you know, addition, subtraction. And then I started on, on multiplication as well. And it, I found it so hard to understand how they couldn't understand it. I was like, but it's so easy. But you forget the process of learning. You can't unlearn what you've learned. So when you're saying to someone, you know, four plus four, if you've got four apples and four oranges, how many pieces of fruit do you have? And they don't get it instantly. Like I had to take a moment and stop and just be like, talk to me. Tell me what you need. Tell me how I can help you. Because it becomes so easy as a teacher to get frustrated in those moments when it seems like something's so easy. And the student doesn't seem to get it. And it's all about stopping and trying to think how to learn something, you know, from that point of view. I don't know if you have that kind of you know, idea. I, I, think, I think the biggest misconception is because I have taught, they have learned. That is the biggest, right? So I think somewhere we seem to think that, well, I've taught, they've got it. And if they don't get it, they're the problem. You know, so I think just uh, reshaping that in the head to say, how do I check for understanding? How do I pause enough times? How do I engage and help them demonstrate understanding? So, and most often than not, we are we we're faced with uh, the constant um, challenge of time. Where's the time? Yes, I have to finish all of this. Then I have to listen to you and smile. No, 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 that's too much work. So I, I keep saying that that myth that. Uh, that co-creation or inviting the child takes time is actually has to be challenged. I think when you invite the user in, you actually gain time because eventually you're actually making up because you're traveling that distance together, mm -hmm. not pushing the learner or pulling the learner on that journey of, 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 you know, change. So I think that's why I would like to encourage that. Just take the little time. It's like helping a child learn how to tie the shoelaces. The first week will be frustrating and difficult and they will not get it. But you're not going to keep tying the shoelace just because it's easier, mm -hmm. right? So it's that if one just understands that that first learning phase is often going to be you know, a struggle. It's like, again, swimming or anything that you learn. But eventually, you actually gain time. Yeah. So that's that myth. Where's the time for all of this? How, where's the time for, uh, for listening? So I feel that that's one thing that they taught me big time, you know, when I just want to listen a bit more and have them uh, participate uh, and engage, I actually were, was able to go forward a lot more because we were doing this together. Yeah. Uh, that was fantastic learning for me. That's something that my, my wife and I have actually taken on. We do some volunteer classes here for, for children who, who can't afford to go to after school academies to learn English, obviously. 
Now, in Spain, you need to learn English because if you can't learn English, then you can't you can't finish school. You know, you have to have all of these different areas. So, so for some of the, the kids, we've been doing them for, for three years now. And, you know, we had been using textbooks and so on and so forth to save ourselves time, you know, as, as you do. Um, but what we did last year, we really paid attention to our students, to their needs, to, you know, the areas they needed to work on. And, you know, not just the grammar points, not just the vocabulary, but other aspects, you know, communicating with each other. And we've designed our own curriculum this year and we've, you know, built it and created it. But it is something that's come from listening to our students and talking to our students. I know this isn't something, you know, you can always do on a grand scale. I'm not saying every single school can implement every single subject for every single class to do it, but there are elements of it you can take. You can certainly take, you know, listening to the needs of the students. I mean, it's, it's one of the fundamental parts of being a teacher and not that, you know, I'm going to teach you the present simple. Okay, we've learned the present simple. The next class, they don't remember it, but I told you last week. No, stop <laughs> and listen. No, I, I've learned to know also a very powerful word, word, word is repetition. <laughs> you know, yes. uh, we forget that. We think we said, I told you that in June. How come you don't remember? I told you this last year. How come you don't remember? So the act of repetition and not rep repeating in, in monotony, but just the repetition, the constant revisiting, the constant understanding of the, the importance of relevance is so important that we forget that we think we've covered ground and therefore we don't revisit that. You know, we just move on. Yeah. You know, and somewhere it's important for even children to see, turn back and see the ground they've covered. You know, and to revisit that, and that's what files in deeper. Those memories have to be revisited to kind of, kind of, you know, open up those memory that uh, those those synap uh, 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 the synaptic kind of connections again. We don't do that enough, and so we just go through life. I can't remember what I learned in school. I just can't, right? But I do remember at NID, the, the kind of experiences I had, the way my whole body kind of was immersed in learning. So I think somewhere we don't, we don't give enough value for the idea. We think we've done it, we've got the grade and it's done. And uh, life doesn't really work that way. So that's another word that I would, I would present uh, to the audience. The other thing I've also learned is reflection, uh, massive. I, I keep thinking that we don't, again, give enough importance to after the learning moment, what have I picked up? Mm -hmm. Otherwise, a learning moment can be an activity and not an experience, right? So I do a great thing. It's a fantastic project. But then I clap my hands and say, it's done. So reflection, the idea of picking the key elements from that experience is what we find. We don't miss in, see the entire event, but we pick up the key pieces, yeah. right? So it, my head... That's another piece that uh, we don't factor into our timetabling. We finish a class, we enter a class, we leave a class. But if we could just take those last three to five minutes in, in reflection and closing the loop and getting the key takeaways, it can be enormously useful uh, to convert an activity into an experience or a learning experience. Absolutely. I mean, there's a few things that, that I've picked up from, from that. Like, when I went to school, I don't remember what I learned. I remember how I felt. You know, I remember how the teachers made me feel. And, and I find like with my students as well. So I've been here in, in Spain for 12 years now. 
And not long ago, I bumped into one of my first students. Oh, and they're like, oh, Harry, great to see you. I was like, wow, you're like an adult now. How did that happen? You used to be six. Um, and they're like, great to see you. And they said, I still remember that class with the potato, you know, because I brought a potato into class. You know, they didn't remember that it was a, what the class was about exactly, but they remembered the, having the fun in that class and that moment. And, you know, and he says, and I, you know, I, I still remember when you used it to use it as a, as a border razor, you know, and you used it as a pillow, you know, they remembered these moments and, and these things yeah. in class because it was, it was fun. It was interesting, but, you know, they don't remember the, 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 the fact that I, that pillow was the vocabulary that I was trying to teach them, you know, that wasn't what it was. It was, they remembered me using it. So, you know, it's, it's so important to do that. And, and this, this idea of reflection as well, it's, it's such such a key part of learning to look back at what you've done and what you've learned and and not just take it on board what I like to do at the end of a lot of my classes is a two-minute tweet and that's you've got two minutes and you've got 240 characters to talk about what we've done in class you know so you know, it could be how it's affected the what we've done that's affected the environment or you know whatever we've done do it in a two-minute tweet because that way it's not a lot of work for the students. It's two hundred and forty characters, including spaces, you know. So and it and it's two minutes. So you know you're not saying to your your students go home and write an essay. It's right two minutes, two hundred and forty characters. I love students that. love it, and it's turning it That's into an experience. Yes. So next question. Well, there's a few actually. There's so many questions. Um, so you you went from you. You built Riverside School in your house, um, yes. and it obviously it obviously grew because because of you know your your different ideals for education. You know, other people recognised that perhaps the traditional you know two hundred year old schooling system maybe wasn't particularly in date anymore and and needed to change. Um, and you've also you've gone on and you, you've also built design for change, which we'll talk about soon. But I want to know. So I've read about your your five E's. OK, your five E's. And, and I, I love the idea of, you know, particularly empowerment for me is, is something that I'm I'm hugely keen on. I try and involve with with all my classes. So what are your five E's and how did they kind of come to you? <laughs> um you've done your homework <laughs> i told well, you actually, i absolutely I, I love what you do like i'm, I'm a huge thank fan. you thank you um i think it came from it, it was like you said an evolution right when we started the school it was really more about just getting the voice of the child uh, you know um sort of empowering that child with the active agency right okay i can do this and i'm not necessarily being a, I, I it's not about compliance and obedience right it was really about respect and empowerment so that really was our starting sort of uh, uh, vision i think as we grew into understanding our purpose we started realizing that just coming in to be personally empowered was not good enough one had to be agents of change. One had to understand that one has a responsibility for the greater good, right? And can one's presence on the planet be of good, you know, be of change? And, and I think it came from also such a deep understanding of design thinking, but also Gandhi. So Mahatma Gandhi is a massive influence, the idea of stamina, of, of, of purpose, of, of the idea of uh, 
just optimism and, uh, and good. So we started realizing that design thinking has a wonderful um, way to build uh, in oneself a mindset, which is of optim optimism and, and, and uh, uh, collaborative spirit. But the values are, 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 must drive change, right? It can't be changed just because, hey, I want to be cool and I want to do it for an Instagram account or I want to do it for a YouTube, right? right? But it has to be driven by values. And so uh, whilst there could be so many values one could choose from, I think for us, we, we, we settled on the values that come from design thinking, which is starting with empathy. That's the first E. Then ethics, which is about doing what is right over what is easy. That's the whole idea of imagination and change. The third E is excellence. We don't often focus on excellence in education. We talk about completion, mm -hmm. but not excellence. We say, let's complete the curriculum. Let's finish it, you know? But excellence is a, is a pursuit. It is, not a, it is not a destination. So excellence was the third E. Then elevation, the idea of collaboration, not just for myself, but to ensure that I see the good in you. And I, and I don't do it as a competition, but as an act of recognition, right? And appreciation. And the last E is evolution, to understand we're always a work in progress, right? We're always, you know, a little bit more than yesterday and a little less than tomorrow. And, and that idea of the growth mindset, the idea that, you know, I can understand something about myself. And then we realize that these five E's, the values, were universal. They were not limited by border or religious in connotation or having any kind of you know faith implications, but they had a universal appeal to it, and they could have context no matter where you are. Empathy is a starting point, the heart, where it must start. Everybody has it. Everybody has the ability to lean into that. Ethics, the idea of choices that we make, right? So all of these, when we tested it within ourselves, we recognized these were worthy values to build our ideals around, build our curriculum around, build our whole narrative around. And it kind of fitted into the idea that we are human by chance, but we've become humane mm -hmm. by choice. And the ease, yeah. the values of these, can we choose to be empathetic every day? Can we choose ethical decisions? Can we choose excellence? Can we choose elevation? So it kind of became uh, an important guidepost or like I said, a lighthouse to, for us to kind of... Um, uh, look at our daily practice around and you and you can apply it it doesn't matter which lesson you're in you know you could be going into a maths lesson a french lesson a drama lesson they're all appropriate always and yes. like i'm not going to choose my favorite of all these because they're you know <laughs> they're all very important but this idea of elevation is you know elevating others around us it's something i i've really experienced a lot recently since i've i've you know, focused most of my my you know education and work on on sustainability and and the climate crisis. I've noticed within it, most people want to help each other because it is this idea that we want to make change. We can't do it on our own. We need to work together to do it. You know, we it's something we need to be, you know, support each other and maybe you're great at one thing that I'm not great at so you'll help me but I'll also help you with something else and this idea of elevating each other I, I absolutely love that and I wish we had more of that in schools because we we almost have the opposite in schools you know we have school league tables and you know every they do the exams and I remember when I was at school in my science class we had we had literal league tables where 
if you're at the top three, then you like you're the best. If you're in the bottom three, you get relegated to the next set down. Like looking at that now, thinking that like, I never got relegated. Like, but you know, there's there's me thinking, oh, I'm, I'm not I'm not in the bottom three. I'm not going down a set. And you know, you're you're hoping that other people do worse. Whereas I was very lucky that my friend Martin Jenkins. He elevated me and he helped me all the time, you know, along the way as we were learning before exams, he helped and he, you know, so I never did get relegated thanks to him. But it's not something that tends to be encouraged in schools. You're absolutely right. I think something you said was so spot on. You're hoping others do worse. I mean, just understand that. And imagine that for 15 years, when you're building a habit of mind, when you're building your worldview, that you're constantly thinking that the only way I can get forward is if somebody does worse. And then you wish for somebody to do worse. I mean, how do you see the world with a lens that is always wishing ill on another, right? And I think that's really at the heart of it. And I'm, I keep saying that, you know, when we talk about education, we're still talking about it. We're still talking about transforming it. We're still talking about things to change. How is that still a conversation we're having? Because we're not putting enough collective will to move it, right? I, I keep saying it during COVID, in a year we got a vaccine, unheard of. How was yeah. that possible? It is only possible because you had the high-income countries being hit the biggest, most. Everybody suddenly woke up and said, oh, we must have a vaccine. We've had SARS in the past. We've had MERS. Nobody really woke up. Nobody said, let's have a collective vaccine. But in a year we got it. So that where there is collective will, we can change and move mountains. And we've never done it for our children. Right? Never, and never. Oh, that's, and so I, for me, that's at the heart of this conversation, which I keep getting slightly um, you know, frustrated with. Oh, we're still talking about, let's reimagine education. We don't have to. All we have to do is get together and create the simple, basic, uh, I would say, ingredients of relevance can learning be made more relevant? Can there be purposeful rigor? Can relationships shape everything? It's not rocket science. It can be put into any school across the world. It's not infrastructure heavy. It doesn't need tech. All of, all of those ingredients lie within you. you know. And I think we've not looked at that enough and looked at that we are the living curriculum. We, we are that. If we are in front of a child, we have all of those ingredients within us to be able to make it. We're just not putting it all together and making those the you know guiding principles but anyway I, it'll happen well it's exactly that and this i love the the i can mindset i it's it's something that should be so fundamental in every child it should be something that comes out of every single child like, and i see it in my daughter um there are a lot of things that she's amazing at you know she's incredible and but it it comes from often at school and stuff like that. And it's, I can't do that. You know, that's, that's too difficult. You mentioned tying shoelaces. Now, little confession here. I was not the most dexterous of children. And when my parents tried to teach me how to tie my shoelaces at, you know, five or six, I, I couldn't, I couldn't get it. I couldn't get it. And I think it frustrated my parents. And in the end, you know, I made the excuse that I was left-handed and they weren't left-handed. So they were teaching me the wrong way around. I don't know. And then my granddad eventually taught me a way of doing it, but not the way, you know, where you go round and under and tie the knot. And then before the, the day before my 17th birthday, I said to my mum, look, I'm old enough to drive a car. 
I reckon I should probably learn how to tie my shoelaces properly. <laughs> so there's my mum sit there. I'm at the day before my seventh. There were no YouTube tutorials then, so I couldn't like yeah. discreetly go off and learn it. I had to bite the bullet. But you know, and and with my with my daughter, it, it was very similar. She was very similar in her way of learning how to tie laces. She she couldn't get it, couldn't get it at all. And in the end, it led her to having this. I can't do it. Don't worry, you can. You don't need to do it today. You know, yeah. we're not gonna, don't worry about it today. We'll, we'll get the first knot done today and then we'll come back to it tomorrow. Eventually she got it. Grand, yeah. you know. But it is about knowing that you can do it. And, and and I can try. That's a very big one. I don't have to do everything well, but I can definitely try. And I keep worrying about children, young children who say, I can't. I mean, how do you even know? Maybe at eight in the morning, you couldn't, but at four in the evening, you just had to try and you could. So I keep thinking about that. I keep saying, how do you even, how have you decided that you can't, right? So I think if we can give our children that, 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 that uh, courage to be able to say, at least I can try. I, I don't have to be terrific, but that's what is in my power, right? I can try. Yeah. And eventually in that trying, I can decide which one I want to get better at. But we have to be open, opening up those spaces for getting children to try. Otherwise, we're just hoping for failure and success in a measure that is so monodimensional. One grade, you know, I'm just, I'm just one thing. Yeah. And the plurality of the identity is often lost. So I don't know anything else about myself, but just that, you know. And so I think that therefore we have to kind of give, equip our children with multiple stories of who they are. Exactly. I I get so frustrated here in Spain because. At the end of the year, at the end of the, each term, our, our daughter gets sent her, her notas, which is her report card. Now, when I was younger, my report card had um, attainment and effort in it. So, you know, maybe I'd get an, a, a B for effort and a C for attainment. And my mum would be like, well, at least you try. And then there was a, the comment that the teacher had written. And it would say, you know, Harry is the class clown or, you know, Harry is always acting like a clown in class, whatever it was. For my daughter... We get, there's an app that we go into and there's a list of 10 numbers. She's nine. She's nine years old. And then, but the worst thing is outside of that, all of the other parents, all of the grandparents, everybody, how were your grades? What grades did you get? How were your grades at school? That's literally it. And the, the whole society here has been built for years and years and years on what grade did you get? And, and the problem is like, when you start in primary school, all you ever are going to get are tens and nines. You're going to get these super high grades, these super high grades for everything you do. So, you know, for the first three years of primary school, nines, tens, nines, tens, nines, tens. And then suddenly an eight appears and it's like, oh my gosh, I've got an eight in maths. That's terrible. And it's like, it's actually good. Like, it's actually a good grade, but because you've been conditioned with all these tens, so as they're going along, as school continues, their grades are slowly getting lower and lower and lower and lower. And it's just so demotivating. And there's nothing, not even a comment of Alithia has tried hard this year. Have a great summer. Absolutely nothing. This year, we didn't even show her our grades. We just didn't even mention yeah. it. We just like, it doesn't matter. You know, you know what you did in school. You know, if you had fun in school, you know, you know when she came home from school, we'd always say, oh, who did you play with in play at playtime? Uh, what did you have to eat for lunch? Uh, not what did you learn in your classroom? Because I, I watched your homework. Yeah. <laughs> Oof. Don't get me started on homework. Or I'll, I'll be here all day. <laughs> okay. Um, so 
you had the the Riverside Learning Center was was based around something I I really love. Obviously, you've got the curriculum. Something I find so important is the the parent partnership. Yeah. You know, and you mentioned it before that kind of disconnect we have, and we're going to get a lot of it now with back to school here in Europe. That you know, there's everyone saying, you know, alas, we get rid of our kids, they go back to school, and we get time off, and we're done, and then we go home. And there's, you know, let's say nine o'clock in the morning, they're there, and then at three o'clock in the afternoon, they're ours again. And that time in between, well, that's the school. And there's nothing between the two. I'm very active at my daughter's school. You know, I go and help out at the school uh, allotment and, and I give talks to the students as well because I've forced that. You know, I've gone and said, I want to do this. I want to be here. I'm a teacher. I want to help. But 98% of the parents, there's no partnership. So what... Excuse bless me. you. Um, <laughs> so... So what was your, your inspiration behind that? But more importantly, how has it made a difference to the school? I'll tell you the greatest difference it has made. And, and, and uh, over 20 years, we built this parent partnership, right? A lot of it was engaging them in ways where we, again, it's just by listening. The kind of interventions and uh, touch points we had with, built over time. But I'll tell you the real impact. COVID happened and suddenly the world went crazy. There was a lot of pushback on parenting and parents saying, oh, you know, we must cut the fees. There's no reason to give the, uh, the, the school any kind of fees. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. and I remember reaching out to my parents and I'm saying, listen, I have a team. I have to look after my team. And, uh, you know, you've been with me, my, with my parents. I am not going to let a single one of my teachers leave. I can't tell you, Harry, the way they responded. They said, you just do what you have to do. We're with you 100%. That was one faith, you know, that came only because, because I have a lot of friends who run schools and all of them are telling me horror stories of, you know, parents marching and saying, the fans are not on, so we will not pay you fees and this and all, you know. So it was such a transactional relationship which, which parents were having with schools. And I was just having this completely different experience and this beautiful show of faith. Uh, even, even the fact that, for the first time since it was on Zoom, a lot of the parents could now see the kind of pedagogical practice, right? Because of the way our teachers were. And they had first experience of comparing with other schools, where other schools were just sending Zoom links or just keeping the video, uh, you know, mute everybody on mute and not engaging. And so they were able to immediately have that reference point. So that again was amazing. But the real a uh, sort of uh, wonderful faith was when we did finally open school and we were allowed to get kids back, 100% of our kids came back. That was where, you know, they just said, listen, we trust you. We know you're going to do what's right for the children. And we're sending all our children back. And that was completely unusual. Across the world, we heard 40% and 50% and parents were reluctant, etc. 100% my, my parents said, listen, we know you've done all of it. We have 100%, but that was only because of the 20 years of investment, Yeah, right? The fact that we continue to work with the parents, engage them in multiple ways. Decision-making was never an imposition. We've done it and you will better do it. We were always inviting them, not having parent committees, but having parent conversations. Yeah, And I think that built this this. Um, uh, this kind of faith so I think for me I will encourage strongly I've had different kinds of schools who say no 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 
we know what we're doing, parents know what we're doing, and pretty much it's an us and them, right? Or certain schools get so pressurized by parents that they 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 buckle under the weight and pressure of the parents saying, you better give us more homework or you better do that. But I think in this, this collaborative spirit that we're on the same team and we're better together and then build an intentional, uh, uh, you know, uh, journey of, of multiple ways we engage, I believe get, got us this, this, this return of faith. So I think that's really um, what we've done with our parent partnership. Something I've really noticed as well with, particularly since you know, I've worked in schools, I've worked in language academies, um, but since my wife and I started these volunteer classes and, and we have a much closer connection with the parents, you know, we speak to them on a daily basis that you know, we have a WhatsApp group where we send videos of the students when they've, they've done a certain task in English. Um, and it's really encouraged the parents also to get involved with what the kids are learning. You know, so yeah. often with yeah. in, in, like you send your child to a language school, it's like an hour off in the afternoon, you're done, you pay the money and magically through osmosis, they learn English and they can get the certificate at the end of it. But like a lot of our parents realize, you know, we speak to them, we see them and they realize that if they're involved in their students learning, their kids learning when they go home, then particularly with a language, it's going to help it build and grow. So it isn't just they now go home and we don't set homework. Um, we ask students if they, if they, you know, to review what they've done in class um, or something like, you know, go and watch uh, a TV show in English or, or find uh, a TikTok video and tell us about it in the next class. We don't set, here's a worksheet, go home and copy grammar rules. So seeing that, the, the parents have got a lot more involved and they'll sit there with their their kids and they'll look for some TikTok videos and they'll talk about it together and you know getting them involved in the kids learning builds the interest and just everything is better absolutely I couldn't agree with you more absolutely so I'm going to move on to, to something else now and this is something you introduced me to in Paris um design for change um I remember when I, you said you got you got to check it out and literally the first thing I did when I, I, I got got to the I got to the airport actually because I went straight from the the conference to to come back to Spain and I got there I opened up my phone I was like let's check this out then and I was just like whoa and what I the thing that struck me at first was FIDS the yes. the the framework and and it was just I absolutely loved it now I'll, I'll let you talk a bit more about it but it's it's feel, imagine, do, and share. Now, for me, that just strikes me as such a great idea with, with everything you can do. You know, you feel it, you imagine it, do it, and then share it with everybody else. And it's a great sort of framework to look at, you know, everything we do. So I don't want to step any more on your toes talking about design for change. It's your thing. So <laughs> tell us a bit more about it. Yeah, uh, again, um, it, this was in 2009, and uh, it happened to be uh, an opportunity that came up to do a, a, a kind of a national um, sort of a challenge to give children to do acts of giving. It actually started with that. It, a friend of mine was uh, imagining a wonderful festival of giving in India, uh, kind of coinciding with Gandhi's birthday, October 2nd, right? So kind of saying, be the change and stuff like that. 
and he was talking to me a lot about you know the adult i've got you know adults giving and the celebrities are doing this and blah 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 i said what about children i mean we have got to get children to be you know little agents of change he said you do it i said okay i'll do it and pretty much how it literally in in over three months, we put together a very simple framework saying how to use design thinking, the process of design thinking, to get children to uh, be sensitive about the user in the act of change. Not, I am changing it and you better like it. You know, that's typically what we call the developmental model of changing. People swoop in, change stuff, and then say, you better like it. And get really frustrated if you don't like it. Yeah. Oh, I've done so much for you. How come you not like it, right? So that's what that's that's the kind of thing. So, and then design thinking till then was often this thing about oh my god, it's only in design firms and design agencies know it, and it's an adult idea. But if you notice, children are really born entrepreneurs and born designers. You know, they they always start with the heart, right? And they just so we kind of capture design thinking and demystified it in the language for children, right? So we said they're going to follow the process because that's super important we want them to understand empathy and then we want them to imagine what change could look like with the user and then act on it but in all design thinking processes if you've noticed there's no shared component it's prototyping putting it into action and solution but there was no sharing it, it, invariably in the design world nobody shares it's all about ip and copyright and everything here we were reversing and saying you have the right to copy i mean that's all point inspire others so that shared storytelling was significant and really important because we said when children are doing acts of change and we don't hear it or don't see it we don't notice the agency in children right if you're tucked away in one school and you're doing it great but but that's not that's not enough, right? We have to make sure that children's agency is seen by everybody. So crafting this little feel, imagine, do, share framework gave children a simple step-by-step -step way to action change, right? And it, and we made a toolkit, converted into 10 languages in India and rolled it out to 30,000 schools in India. I, at that time, thought I'm just going to do it in India. It'll be fine, perfectly fine. And our first story came to us from a little corner of India, in fact, uh, Dimapur in Nagaland. And, and we started crying. We said, oh my God, these children in a little school all the way in Dimapur are agents of change. Then we got stories from villages of India and in the, in the urban setup. And it became just fantastic to suddenly become custodians of stories of change from our children. So it just change the way people were looking at our children, you know, and suddenly we were looking and celebrating children for being agents of change, not like you said, being smarter than the fifth grader or winning a, a quiz contest, you know, all of that, that became such a big narrative for celebrating children. And then, of course, um, I happened to get the opportunity to speak on TED when TED came to India for the first time. And then when that talk went live, it suddenly went viral, apparently. And suddenly people from around the world were saying, we love that. And can we do it? And literally, because of that, it just, we just put everything up. It's a completely free program. Anybody can do it. And today we're in 63 countries. Uh, around it's absolutely wonderful. Wow. Just, and and the, wonderful. what I love about it as well, like something you've mentioned, and it's what I try to do with a lot of the, the stories that, that I see in, in schools around the world, is, is this idea of sharing it. Because 
it's all well and good, you know, for example, a bald bearded man coming up there and telling you, this is a great idea, you should do it, well done, you're great. But when they see somebody their age or younger or a bit older yeah. doing it in, in Brazil or in India or, you know, in another country, I just think, oh, wow, well, if they can do that, I'm sure I, I can do it too. Exactly. And then if I can do it, then I'm sure my little brother can do it as well, actually. Why don't we all just do it? Because, and then we can share our story as well. And other people can see, you know, that, that we're all, we're all doing this. And yeah, it's absolutely, absolutely spectacular. And I, I would recommend everybody to go, go check it out. Yes, please. And like I said, you know, because in the 15 years of children's lives, they've often been told not to share. Right, don't share. I've seen children who put little hands in front of their notebooks and write their answers. This constant scarcity mentality, you know, don't share. You, you should get it. But suddenly when you're telling children, my God, be shameless. Share your story. I mean, tell everybody, look at us. We're here. We've made our world a better place. Right. So I think that was also an important messaging. And we wanted to tell schools that, come on, don't be scared about sharing and collaborating so i think the shift in the act of sharing getting children from absolutely diverse uh, profiles of schools to come together on that same stage finally we celebrate these stories right we're not just uh, it's not we're not just content in receiving the stories but we want to celebrate it and in the celebration we have found children from little villages speaking with children from primary uh, uh, these ib schools but they're all on that same play. They don't speak the language, but they're all nodding with each other and celebrating each other and saying, I love your story. It's just magical. It's absolutely magical. And I think for me, that was my real awakening to recognize that the FIDS is context. It's not content. And a child anywhere in the world can do it. And that was the part. It is so beautifully versatile, so universal in this appeal and can fit into any uh, uh, existing uh, sort of curriculum. So there's no push and resistance. It fits in. We encourage people to do it. And like you said, it's like a way of life for me. Uh, it's like Zen or something. You, know? you mm -hmm. just start by always with empathy. So it became a wonderful, wonderful um, sort of exercise. And, and, and I, love, I love the idea of it. You know, it, it's not a competition. It's not a yeah. competition at all. And uh, you know, something I'm working on at the moment, it's um, and it's about it's about helping change makers and they're you know, their change makers are gonna send in their videos about what they're doing. And and there was a lot, there was a big discussion, a very, very big discussion with with the creators of it as to whether it should be a competition or not. Like who and I was like, absolutely not. It doesn't need to be a competition. These are people who are trying to make change, trying to do good things in the world. We don't want to say you're the best at doing this in the world. You're the next and you're the third. No, there's no need for it to be a competition. It's, it's just a sharing of, of what we're doing. There is no one that is better than the other. You know, it's going to be easier for somebody who goes to uh, an expensive private school in the UK to raise a lot of money for charity. And, you know, well, I raised 3000 euros three thousand pounds or whatever and then somebody who's in rural india raises a certain amount of money it's not a competition because they're both doing something good for where they are and it shouldn't be well look i raised more than you <laughs> everybody's situation is different but everybody can do something good yeah absolutely
I think for, for me, that's what I what I really got from Design for Change was that, you know, we can all do something good. We can and, and we can celebrate it. And and it's not we can do something good that's better than your something good. They're all good. They're all making something change. They're all doing a good thing in the world. Um, and we can see each other's and we can learn from each other's and just be like, that's brilliant. That's great. That's excellent. I want to do that as well. And, and I want to share. I want other people to see that, that I'm doing good too. Because, you know, when you share it, when your, your kids share what they're doing, how great it is, it gives them this amazing confidence to continue to grow and, and do more. Because it's a sense of accomplishment. And that's a very, very important feeling of efficacy, right? If I've accomplished something, it, it gives me the, the, the confidence to say I can accomplish something else. So an accomplishment comes from not just winning something or, or like I said, accomplishment is not like um, an exam result. It is the deep understanding that I put in my effort. I, I, I finished something uh, in, in that time and I was able to then complete a task. So I think accomplishment is, is an extremely important way to build self-worth and you know, self-efficacy. So I think uh, just Design for Change gives children that sense of empowerment and accomplishment. So, yeah. And yet it, just... isn't based on, it isn't based on them doing well in an exam. Exactly, exactly. Doing know, good. Yeah, let's be honest, it doesn't... It doesn't exams i'm not going to say they're not important they are but they're not exactly relevant for every person you know some students are not academic i've worked with a lot of students who aren't academic but they are good people and they want to do good things in the world but the, the academic system doesn't suit them but they can still do something good they can still make a change and they can still be seen making a change thanks to things like design for change um well i think I think we've managed to almost cram everything in here. Um, yes. I didn't know if it was going to be possible. Uh, it's It's been such a pleasure. Whenever I, I watch you speak or hear you speak, and, and in this case, speak to you, this enormous smile comes across my face. It's just <laughs> this, I, I don't know. It, you exude joy and happiness. And this, this, you know, happiness to wake up in the morning, as you say, it's infectious. And, you know, it's obviously infectious in your students and the teachers in, in your school. And I hope it's infectious to our listeners as well. So thank you so much for coming today. But beyond that, thanks for everything you've done for the last 21 years and everything you're going to continue to do for the next 50 years. Um, uh, absolutely <laughs> amazing. Thank you so much, Harry. It's been such a pleasure. And like I said, now you have to come to India. And we have to give us each other another hug. So I'll plan. be there in a flash. <laughs> I work with a few schools in India, so I'll, I'll definitely, uh, I'll definitely come by and and give you a hug. It'll be, it will yes. be lovely. Thank you so much. Bye, everybody. Thank you. Bye, bye. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events 
aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.wetherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Imagine a world where you were free to focus on sparking curiosity in your students and giving them access to the awe and wonder of learning. A world where you were supported to deliver a truly personalised education to help all your learners achieve their potential. No need to imagine it, because that's exactly what the Oxford Smart Curriculum Service delivers. Seamlessly integrating curriculum, resources, assessment, next steps and professional development, every component of Oxford Smart is connected and working to provide you with a uniquely coherent and responsive service that empowers you and your students with transformational effect. The Oxford Smart Curriculum Service. When everything connects, anything is possible. If you have a passion for education and a talent for teaching and learning, the Witherslack Group want to hear from you. Join them as they open an incredible new school in Essex and be a founding teacher of English, Maths, Science or Primary with multiple leadership opportunities available too. As Teachers Talk Radio partners, we know how much they care about the well-being of staff and their offer to you will be superb. To find out more and apply for a role, visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers. This is Teachers Talk Radio. Thank you so much to Kieran for, for joining us today. Uh, absolutely wonderful. Um, a truly inspirational educational leader uh, out there trying to make change for the good uh, of students, but also for the good of the world, which is, is rather refreshing, uh, a school leader not being completely obsessed with, with league tables and uh, and exam scores and and all of all of that. So, um, not long left now. Obviously, you can you can tune into Lucy over on Spaces. She's joined the Wendy uh, Wendy the Wednesday Wombats uh, this week, as her, she's usually on Tuesdays. But you can join her uh, in about fifteen minutes over on Twitter Spaces. So do tune in over there and have a listen. I am going to be away for the next couple of weeks. Um, I'll be back on the, just checking my calendar, the 28th of September. I'll be speaking to Nick Peachy all about uh, ed tech um, and how we can use it and how he helps people use it. And But before then, it is my wife's birthday on the 21st. And we will be going on holiday, uh, if you believe it or not. It's been a pretty tough summer here in Seville um, with uh, 42 days, 42 days of heat wave we've had since uh, the start of June. So it's been pretty, pretty warm, um, over, over 45 degrees on a number of days, which obviously was great for Caster Chef, but not fantastic for you know, living in general. It was pretty awful, I have to say. But that is it. Um, That's it for today. Thank you so much for joining us. I see uh, uh, Liquinda has just joined us right at the end there. So thank you so much for coming along. You can, of course, listen back to Kieran Birasetti's interview that we had not long ago. Thank you so much for joining us. And I will catch you on the flip side.
You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.